Father, I ask that you clear our minds and take hold of our hearts. And for the next few minutes, help us to be embraced as we have an opportunity to talk with you. Lord, it's such a loving thing that you've done for us. While we do not deserve any communication whatsoever with you, out of your grace and out of your mercy, you have sent your Son to be mediator, that he might die for us, that we might live, that his Spirit might now dwell in us, that we might commune with you in prayer. And you even promise us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, when we're in prayer, is going to reach down inside of us and bring forth thoughts and utterances beyond anything we would have ever considered. You're really very intentional about this time, Lord. You want this time of communication. And I thank you for that. We come to you this morning, Lord, wanting to give thanks to you for who you are and for what you are. That you're an infinite God. You're a God of justice and a God of mercy. A God of love. A God who never changes, a God who's righteous. You're all the things, dear God, that were given up by Adam and Eve. And now, through your Son, Jesus, we have an opportunity to experience, in part now and eternally, all of those things. Father, we've come to thank you. To thank you for the love that you have shown us to thank you for all of the opportunities that you give us in our lifetime, to thank you for the people that you put around us, to thank you, Lord, for the potential we have to love them and to be loved by them. It's a wonderful experience you've given us, Father. And yet very often we take our eyes off of you and we are overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. Things will happen that distract us and things occur in our life that will so burden us that we become anxious and forget about you. I ask you to forgive us, Lord, for those times when we are not faithful. And I thank you that you don't get fed up with us and just throw us away. But I thank you instead, Lord, that what you do is you reach out once again and you embrace us and draw us out of the darkness back into the light of the Lord Jesus. What a gracious God you are, that any and all sins covered by the blood of Christ are forgiven and forgotten by you. Dear God, I pray, as I do every Sunday for our country, I pray for spiritual renewal. I pray that those of us who know you would become serious about our faith and that our lives would reflect what has already happened in our hearts. And I pray, dear God, that you would use us as a light in this very dark world, that wherever we go and whatever we do, that we might be representative of you. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to be effective in that effort. We pray your blessing and the moving of your Holy Spirit on people in positions of power and influence, and on those who have no power and no influence at all. We pray, dear God, that you would draw this nation of people closer to you, and that we would welcome you back into our country. And Father, you're the only one who can do that. 
So we come very dependently to you asking for your help and for your blessing. Father, when we gather together, there are always those among us who are stressed or anxious or dealing with physical or emotional or financial difficulties. It's just the way of the world, this side of heaven. I pray, dear God, that you would give a peace, the kind of peace that only comes from you, and that you would help us to see your hand at work and know that you have never left our side and never will. Thank you, dear God, for being so faithful and so constant. I pray for those in uniform, Lord, for the ones in the military, for those who are also in police work and those who are your servants in hospitals and other facilities. And I pray, dear God, your peace in their life and that you would reassure them and help them also to be resilient. I pray your blessing on them. Father, this is a good place for us to be on Sunday, for us to come together with fellow believers and to share together and to be encouraged by you. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and pray for the constant moving of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, amen. I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to look in the fifth chapter, starting with the 14th verse. The Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, starting with the 14th verse, and we're going to study 14, 15, and 16. Once you find your place, please keep your Bibles open. And keep them open as we move through the passage together. I hope you've already learned that as you consider, as you hear the word preached and read, that you can also keep looking back down and it will be amplified for you and God will use it to grab hold of your heart. So keep your Bibles open and keep referring back to it as we move through the passage. The Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, and we're going to start with the 14th verse. Let's pray together. Father, we should have a sense of anticipation for you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, have invited us to a personal encounter. And as we open your word, dear God, it is you who speaks to us. I pray that we might hear clearly and that we might be impacted by what we hear. Please bless both the reading and the preaching of your word. And let it have a lasting effect so that we might take it home and might live it out this week. So bless our time, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a fascinating story this past week about a little boy born in France. When he was three years old, he ventured out of the house across the yard and walked into the family barn. While he was in the barn, he either was encountered by or he encountered what I think must have been a pitchfork. It simply said, one of his dad's tools. 
And somehow that little three-year-old boy punctured both of his eyes. He wasn't totally blind when that happened, but mostly blind. And then he got an infection in one eye and the other. And within a very, very short period of time, Lewis was blind in both eyes and remained blind until he died in his early 40s. Sad story. I'm reminded from our Sunday school lesson this morning that God takes all things and uses them. God wasn't out of control in that one. He had a plan. While there are lots of blind people and always have been and always will be, he had something very special for that little boy. By the time that Lewis was 20, he had finished grade school and college and done well in public education because his mom and dad didn't want him in a special school. Instead, they asked him to compete as best he could. And God blessed him with a tremendous memory, and it worked. And he did very well in school. By the time he was 20, he had become aware that the military was using a code that they could transmit in the dark so they could communicate with each other. And he got hold of that code that the French had developed, and he's changed it into a series of six little dots. And he created, by the time he was 20, a means for blind people to use his Braille system, Lewis Braille. Now, that has afforded folks all kinds of opportunities. Most, most of us have seen that in elevators and a whole variety of other places. And if you're like I am, every now and then I reach out and touch it because it helps put me in touch a little bit with people who are dependent on it. But as I read on, I became aware that even with the Braille system, those who are totally blind are dependent on the sighted people around them. For example... To know the difference in colors so they do not put on clothing that clashes. Someone must help them. Someone must help them choose clothing. Someone must describe those colors to them so that they will understand. Now, let me tell you why I talk about Lewis Braille. Without exception, not when we were three, not when we were one, but when we came into existence as a human being, we, every one of us, were spiritually blind. No sensitivity to the things of God. No understanding of the things of God. Paul tells us in Romans 3, weren't even interested and never would be interested in the things of God. And we are dependent. We're dependent on other people that God has commissioned, His church, for them to help us, just like the blind person is dependent on people to help them. You and I are that church. And what God has done is He has called us 
to help those who are spiritually blind. You got that? I don't think he asked us. I don't remember our session sitting down together and saying, let's talk about whether that's a good idea or not. I think I read that's what he said he wants us to do. Now, I want to show you in Scripture, as Jesus talks to us, exactly what God had in mind. I want you to look with me at Matthew, the fifth chapter, and I'm going to begin reading with the 14th verse through the 16th. And folks, listen carefully. God has invited you to a very personal encounter. He's about to speak. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let me remind you when this happened. Jesus was at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee and part of his Galilean ministry, had his disciples with him. A crowd of people started gathering. Jesus took the disciples up on the side of a mount. If you read the account in Matthew, it's called What Happens? The Sermon on the Mount. If you read it in Luke, it's called The Sermon on the Plain. And the way we understand that is Jesus took his disciples and this huge crowd of people followed and he found a place where it was relatively level on the side of that mount and he positioned himself so he could be heard with the natural kind of acoustics and he began to speak. And what we have recorded in Matthew and in Luke are the very elements, the content of the sermon that he shared with them. If you look at the 14th verse, he describes who we are. He simply says to us, you are the light of the world. He didn't say you're going to become the light of the world. He didn't say with the right ingredients we can position you so you can be the light of the world. Folks, he said to his children, saved by grace, you are the light of the world. I think most of the time when we try to figure out who we are, we do it by association. I am Helen and W.S. Barton's son, my mama and my daddy. I am also Kathy, Whaley, and Steve's dad, all three having accomplished much in life, and I don't mind following along and being known as their daddy. Or... Some of you might be known as doctor because you're a medical doctor or doctor because you have an earned degree academically. Some of you might be known as someone with a beautiful voice who's been gifted by God. There are all kinds of characteristics that we're known by. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us is, let me tell you what you're known by. You're known by your association with me. And you're known because you're now part of the family of God. 
And because of that, you are the light of the world. John 8, 12 says it so beautifully. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. If you have been called by God into a relationship as we have, He now is your heavenly Father. And He has bestowed light on you, the very light of life. And it is part of who you and I are. The problem is, so many of us have not let that light shine. But it's there. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to generate it. You don't have to go through some special training. It is an ingredient. It's part of who you are. And Jesus is making that very clear. If you look at verses 14 and 15, he describes for us what we're to do with that light. The latter part of 14, he says, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In ancient times, people gathered together on top of hills because they could be fortified and be safer. And they built cities. Well, one of the benefits is that during the daytime, from a distance, you could see that clustering of people on top of a hill. And you could see it from a long way off. At nighttime, because of the light that was generated, you could also see the location of that city. He's saying we're like a city that's built on a hill. You and I are distinct. We are different than the people who are walking in cadence in this world. And because there's something different about us, we ought to be seen. We ought to be seen separately from the rest of the people in this world. He says we're like a lampstand. You don't light a lamp and take the lamp and hide it. You set it up on a table where it can illuminate the area that you're in. I met someone this week, and I want to tell you about him. A lady who attended a church that I pastored before drove up into my driveway in Columbia. She had another lady with her. And they told me they were looking at a house that has just become available down the street. And the lady that I didn't know proceeded to tell me that she's left her husband. Well, folks, when I heard that, I got real interested. I got off my lawnmower. And I started listening. And she went on to tell me about her husband. Now, I'm hearing one side And please know there's always another side. She said that her husband would get up in the morning and do his devotional. And that he'd have a prayer time. That he'd go to church every Sunday. I know the church that he went to. And that he would look like a committed Christian to other people. Like he was walking the walk. She said at night he would abuse alcohol. Every night. And that as he abused the alcohol at night, he would verbally abuse her. And that he acted as if he did not care if she lived in the same house with him. And that that went on for a number of years. And back in the fall, she made the decision with the blessing of her children, she said, to leave her husband. Now, the reason I tell you that story 
is that Scripture says we are to be a light. So if what was going on spiritually in the man's life, there's an inconsistency in what he is setting forth and what he's living. Mark Twain had a little statement. You and I have all heard it. Acts speak louder than words. And they certainly make a deeper impression. Do you know the rest of that quote? Acts speak louder than words. But they're not nearly as often. We talk a really good talk. We do that for our benefit and we do that for the benefit of other people. So we can say one thing and be something else in reality. And what the Lord is encouraging us, the church, to do is to be consistent. To be consistent in the way we live, in the privacy of our own thoughts, as well as in the public view. For us to be consistent with what happens on Sunday and what happens behind closed doors in our homes. And sometimes that's a challenge. But it's a challenge that you and I need to take on. We need to be consistent in our walk with the Lord. Because, folks, no matter where you are, people are watching you. You are a light. The question is, can we distinguish that light from the darkness when you're out in public or behind closed doors? There needs to be that kind of consistency. He goes on to say to us that this light ought to illuminate everything in the room. Now, if you go back to biblical times, homes were typically one room. So what they're saying is if you put a lamp lit in a room, it ought to illuminate everything in that room. I was uh, just interested because I love history. You know where the first lighthouse was in the world? It was built a couple of hundred years before the birth of Christ. There's a natural harbor in Alexandria, Egypt, looking out onto the Mediterranean. And some entrepreneurs got together and they went out to a little island just off the shore and they built a lighthouse 450 feet high. That's a pretty substantial lighthouse. And they had a ladder on the inside going all the way to the top. On the top, they had an open area with a big piece of metal that was a reflector. And they would cut wood and 24 hours a day towed it up 450 feet. Aren't you glad you didn't work there? And they would keep a fire burning. And the fire during the day put forth smoke. And they say you could see it across the Mediterranean like 100 miles because it would go so high into the air and blossom out. At night, the piece of metal reflected the glow from the fire, and you could see it from the Mediterranean. All of that was to get people safely into the harbor because there were some shallows out around that island. I think what the Lord is saying to us is, both in the daytime and at night, you and I are to be that kind of a light. And we need to be committed to being that. Folks, you don't have to be committed to becoming the light. You have to be committed to living that lifestyle so that you are that light in the darkness of this world. Don't you wonder 
if it's getting darker out there? It seems like it is. I think when Scripture talks about a perverse generation, it wasn't just talking 2,000 years ago. It's talking about today also. And do you know there's nobody else who's part of the delivery system for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ other than us? If we're waiting on the Kiwanis Club or the Lions Club or the PTA, if we're waiting on the federal government or the state government, if we're waiting for some well-intentioned person to come along and to tell people about Jesus Christ, it's just not going to happen. God has commissioned His church, you and I, to do that. We are to be the light. And we are to light up the entire environment in which we exist. And we're to do that day and night. And to do that, we have to walk in the power of the Spirit. And we have to resist walking in the flesh. Verse 16, how are we to do this? How is this to work out? He says, what I want you to do is I want you to do good works. The minute you see the word good works, I want you to think about Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. 8 and 9 explain how we come to faith. For by faith we have been saved. It's an act of grace. It's a gift from God. We shouldn't boast about it. It's what He has done for us. He has called us into a relationship. He has made it possible for you and I to believe what otherwise would be absolutely unbelievable. And yet we do believe, don't we? He's given us that faith. And if you look down at verse 10, it says, and in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, it says in that 10th verse, And he has prepared beforehand the good deeds he wants us to do. The good deeds are not done to earn salvation or position in heaven. The good deeds are done simply to say, Thank you, dear God, for loving me and for saving me. It's a way you can demonstrate your thankfulness for what he has done for you. You know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer? If you haven't read about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I would encourage you to do so. There's some good biographies and a lot of good historical data about him. During the late 20s and all during the 1930s and the very early 1940s, he was one of the German pastors who had a flock and ministered to the flock. And as the Second World War started in 1939 in Europe, he became one of those who resisted the Nazis. He's a pacifist. But he resisted. <clears throat> he became part of the continuing church, which was a church, very small group of Christians who stood against Adolf Hitler. <clears throat> during the 19, late 30s and all during the early 40s, he became more and more active. He also became a theologian of some note, and a lot of his theological work is available today. Well, he became so profoundly committed to overthrowing the evils of the Nazi regime that he found ways to take monies that he gathered together and to put them into anti-Nazi movements. As he was doing that, the Gestapo, the Nazi arm, a very dark black 
group of folks, they became aware of what he was doing, not for the purpose, but that he was taking money and using it. They thought he was actually embezzling it. And as they arrested him and held him, 1943, they began to realize what he was doing with the money, that he was anti-government. From 1943 until 1945, he moved among three or four different concentration camps. In 1945, in April, on the ninth day, it became obvious that the concentration camp that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in was going to be repatriated by the Allied forces. Adolf Hitler personally gave a command that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was to be hung. That's how big a thorn in the side of Hitler he was. So they, in fact, did take him into the open area in that prison, and they hung him literally just days before that camp was repatriated. You know, being a Christian is to be a light. There's no assurance that it's going to be a cakewalk all the time. And if that's what we're looking for, either you'll never be a light or you're going to be terribly disillusioned. There are times when, because we are Christians, we're going to be ostracized. I don't think we ought to wear that as a merit badge, but it's a reality of life. If you've never had anybody shun you because you're a Christian, I want to ask you why. If your faith really runs deep and you really have surrendered to Jesus and you want to say thank you by your good works, how come nobody's noticed? They ought to notice, shouldn't they? God says that we are to do good works. Secondly, Bonhoeffer, in his great wisdom, made a statement I want to read to you. He said, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. Did you all hear that? When we start judging each other, when we start saying in some way, I'm better than you are, I have arrived somewhere where you haven't arrived, what we really do is we start to blind ourselves. And we can't see ourselves, we're so busy looking at somebody else. And when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ does that, our light in public dims. The way we glorify God, and that's the purpose, is for us to love other people, not judge other people. Please, folks, it's God's place to do the judgment. It's our place to love other people. And by God's grace, somebody has loved us. Somebody has shared Jesus with us. We need to do the same with other people. Being a light is not an option. It is the intention of the one who has saved you. It's the intention of the one 
that you and I are going to spend eternity with. So, if that requires a refocusing on your part, I encourage you to refocus. I want you to know that one day, I'm going to go back to South Carolina. And I may weep a tear because I've fallen in love with some of you folks. And that's okay, too. But if I haven't left anything with you other than this, this is my heart's desire, that you have learned how to love more passionately and give yourself away more fully than you did before. I think I read, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength, and we're to love other people. Did you read that? The same one who said that we're to be a light is the one who said that. And folks, if we will love, God will take care of the rest of us. But if we're harsh, if we speak harshly to one another, if we speak harshly in our own homes, if we are in any way setting people aside and comparing people, they'll never know of our love. Amen? Let's be known for loving. Bonhoeffer said, that's what illuminates and stops us from being blind. Let's pray together. Father, I know from studying the passage, there's so much more, so much more in depth that we could talk about. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these words and would apply them to us. And I pray, dear God, that you'd so impact us that we would be changed people. That we would look for opportunities to shine forth and for others to see, not us, but to see you. And to know you've made a difference in our life. And to see the love that characterizes us in our church. Please, Father, I ask your blessing. And I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Do you know where you're going when you leave church today? Do you have a plan? Do you know for sure who you're going to encounter? Or who might call on the phone? Have you thought about the fact that when you walk out of here, you're going to have opportunity to shine for Jesus? That other people might be blessed. Think about it. God bless you and God keep you, my friends. May his face shine upon you. And might your face shine also. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.